0: Hello and welcome to the March 2018 edition of the Free Movement Immigration Update podcast. This month I'm starting on the Brexit outlook for EU citizens. I'm going to turn to several immigration law issues affecting children that came up in March. Um, The Upper Tribunal reported a fresh batch of decisions and there's a couple on jurisdiction, there's a couple more on other procedural bits and pieces. I'm ending with a couple of cases and developments in the area of business immigration. All of the material is drawn from the March 2018 blog post on Free Movement. And if you're interested in signing up for CPD points for listening to this podcast, then head to freemovement.org.uk slash training. Starting with Brexit, we've got a really detailed post by Chris DeZera dated the 26th of March, in which Chris looks at the 19th of March draft withdrawal agreement um, between the EU and the UK. Now, this is essentially an update of a previous piece that, um, where he looked at the EU um, draft, and he's looked at what the current situation is, what's changed since the previous draft, and um, goes into... The analysis of basically what the impact of the agreement is going to be now i don't want to go through the entire thing in detail but um, just really for the purpose of the podcast to, to pick out a couple of updates compared to um, previously so slight evolution chris says um, particularly on jurisdiction of the court of justice of the european union being the final arbiter for the interpretation of eu law for the rights of eu citizens also um, free movement rights to continue for EU citizens arriving during the transition period or implementation period or whatever you want to call it, which is between the 29th of March 2019 and 31st of December 2020. Um, there's quite substantial concessions by the UK government um, but those seem to have stuck politically so um, that looks good. Um, there's also a slight change for the worse as well, Um, Originally, the Commission draft had contained protections for EU citizens who were going to marry or enter into civil partnerships after the 31st of December 2020, um, which would enable those partners to come to live in the UK at a later date under EU law. And that would have enabled them to avoid the um, spouse minimum income threshold of 18,600 and all the um, Byzantine rules that, that go with that, the evidence that's required and so on. That's been taken out of the latest draft though, um, so it, the, the protections of EU law will only continue to apply for people who were family members as at 31st of December 2020, so that is a change for the worse as well. Um, if you're interested in these issues, then take a detailed look at Chris's post, which is excellent. Um, on a less positive note, um, I've, I've also mentioned on the website a piece of research I've been working on for Nando Sagona, Dr. Nando Sagona, at the Eurochildren project and um, essentially we were looking at the status of um, children and families after Brexit and I was asked to do a research brief specifically looking at the situation of children and the problems that they might have with acquiring settled status and with citizenship. And there are quite a few problems that children are going to face. Um, some of the problems are not necessarily caused by Brexit as such. It's more that Brexit um, highlights pre-existing problems in a way that um, is, is, is what didn't really matter previously while free movement continued but will matter after Brexit. So, in particular, the entitlement to British citizenship of of children is an issue. It's going to be quite hard for some children to prove their status as British citizens. That wouldn't have really mattered while they were still um, EU citizens and EU citizens had free movement rights, but it is going to matter after Brexit and British nationality law basically hasn't caught up with developments in EU law and EU membership. Okay, moving on from that, um, there's a couple of interesting posts on the situation of children and human rights applications involving children. Nath McPhee has put done a really good post on an update to Home Office guidance on dealing with applications for leave to remain on the basis of family life as a partner or parent on the basis of the um, private life on the 10-year route to settlement. And the updates, Nath takes the view that they're not necessarily um, that significance. Um, The the, the major change is the introduction of a two-stage test when looking whether it is reasonable for a child to leave the UK and uh, under the new approach the caseworker at the Home Office has first of all got to determine whether the departure of the non-EEA parent would result in the child being required to leave the UK and only if that test is met the caseworkers then got to go on to consider whether it's reasonable to expect the UK, the sorry, the sorry, child to leave the UK. Now, Nath, Nath thinks that is a significant change, um, although whether it actually makes much of a difference in practice remains to be seen. Um, her firm, Wesley Grick, have seen a few cases where probably the cases wouldn't have succeeded under the new approach, whereas they did succeed under the old approach. So it, it sounds like there probably is um, some practical impact there. Other changes are mainly updating and tidying up and probably don't really make a great deal of difference to outcomes. So, for example, there's no reference explicitly to the Zambrano case in the new Home Office Guidance, but the the old reference to Zambrano probably didn't make much difference anyway, so that's probably not a, a significant change. There's then another um, excellent blog post also by Nath on um, an, an up, a new case called MT&ET, Child's Best Interests, uh, Nigeria 2018, UKUT88IAC. And in this case, the Upper Tribunal is looking at two things, one of which we're not that interested in for our purposes now, and that's the ex tempore pilot, which is where judges give um, judgment immediately orally rather than in writing several weeks later. Um, the more interesting bit on child 's best interests, and in this case it was um, the child concerned was fourteen years old, had lived in the u k for more than seven years um, The tribunal held that it was clearly in the child 's best interests to remain and although the parent had behaved quite badly in immigration law terms it wasn 't nearly badly enough basically to outweigh the child 's best interests, and the tribunal was taking a, a somewhat um, if we can put it this way, softer line on parental bad behavior than the updated home office guidance I was talking about just a moment ago, so that 's quite an interesting sort of divergence of, of opinion there um, and and generally speaking, good news for children cases. Watch this space though because um the supreme Court is was uh, already heard actually at the time that i 'm i 'm speaking. A, a new case on reasonableness of relocation and undue harshness in child cases, what the relevant considerations might be. Judgment hasn't been given but is expected at some point in the next few weeks or months, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Now, on to a really interesting case called R um, on the application of DC against Secretary of State for the Home Department's 2018 EWHC 399 admins. So it's a High Court case. This is covered by John Vasilo on the blog. And it's a really interesting one involving good character test in an application for registration by a child who was under 18 at the date of application. Now his application was refused on the basis of um, several criminal offences that he'd apparently committed. And um, he brought a challenge in the High Court because there's no right of appeal against a good character refusal um, of registration or naturalisation. Registration is for children, naturalisation is for adults. And there's there's no of appeal, so he pursued an application for judicial review and essentially um, succeeds, although um, that's not quite how it reads at the end of the judgment because the judge accepts that the Home Office had failed to take into account potentially mitigating aspects of the child's background, um, including a social services report. Um, I think the child had been taken into care and that therefore fell foul of Um, failing to take into account all the relevant considerations to good character. Essentially, the Home Office had looked at the bad stuff, they hadn't looked at the good stuff. However, the court doesn't actually quash the decisions because there had been a number of fresh criminal convictions, so the child concerned was going to have to apply for citizenship under the naturalisation route for adults instead. So um, it, it essentially had actually won the arguments um, but because of events since the date of the application for registration, um, the court decided to not grant relief and quash the decision. So a, a slightly sort of um, a bittersweet um, result for the child concerned, but it's an interesting case for the rest of us. And it just goes to show that it is important for the Home Office to take account of all of the relevant considerations, both good and bad, when looking at good character in naturalisation and registration applications. Okay, another case involving a child. This one's a Court of Appeal case, J.M. Zimbabwe against Secretary of State for the Home Department, 2018 EWCA Civ 188. This one's written up by Christopher Cole. Now, this is another interesting one, and as Chris points out at the end, it's, um, it's a slightly bizarre outcome in lots of ways. Um, this was—it's um, an application for leave by a child under paragraph 403C of the Immigration Rules. And essentially, the child had to show that he or she was not admissible to their country of former habitual residence or any other country in order to um, achieve leave as a stateless child. However, the Court of Appeal takes a very expansive view of of the meaning of the word admissible and decides that even though this child who could potentially have been registered as being Zimbabwean but hadn't been by the parents, um, was therefore uh, because they could easily that that registration was an easy thing to do. The child was therefore admissible to Zimbabwe and therefore wasn't entitled to leave. As Chris points out, though, um, that's not necessarily the end of the story for this particular child because the child had been resident in the UK for coming up to five years, and therefore, assuming that all of the other requirements were met, such as not being absent from the UK for more than 450 days, which seems rather unlikely given that he didn't have leave. Um, the child would therefore potentially be um, entitled to be registered as a British citizen child um, under paragraph 3 of Schedule 2 of the British Nationality Act 1981, um, as described by Mr Ockleton in the tribunal in the case of MK, reference 2017 EWHC 1365 admin. So a little bit bizarre, really, that the appellant potentially wasn't entitled to leave because of this very expansive interpretation of the word admissible in the immigration rules, but was potentially going to be, very soon at least, um, eligible for naturalisation as British. I just want to give a quick mention to a new inspection report on um, the treatment of unaccompanied asylum seeking children by the Home Office, Uh, interesting report by David Bolt's inspection team and a couple of things stood out of it, one of which is that um, almost one in ten of asylum applications was from a lone child, almost three thousand of them. Also, that Home Office caseworkers get 444 minutes to decide a child's asylum application compared to 555 minutes for an adult, which came as news to me. I always thought that child cases were more complex and required more time, but it seems that the Home Office um, disagrees. Also, rather depressingly, it costs around £55,000 to support an asylum-seeking child um, who's alone, at least. but the Home Office only covers about 50% of that, um, thus leaving local authorities to pick up the the tab for the rest. Um, The department also admitted that there is no specific training for those conducting initial age assessments on the basis of physical appearance and demeanour. So that's um, the initial filter where the Home Office says that only if an applicant appears to be significantly over the 18 um, will they not be subject to a full age assessment and be treated as an adult. So um, uh, rather interesting and alarming that there's that lack of training in place there. I'm going to run quickly through a few tribunal decisions um, and also a Court of Appeal decision on tribunal jurisdiction. Um, First of these is B.A. Deprivation of Citizenship, Appeal, Ghana, 2018 UKUT 85IAC, a decision by President Lane and essentially telling us something that I think everybody already thought was the case, um, which is that the tribunal has a general discretion in deprivation appeals, citizenship deprivation appeals, to make its own decision and substitute its own decision for that of the Secretary of State, contrary to some remarks in an earlier case called Pirzada. This, um It's important if you're dealing with deprivation cases, there is an increasing number of deprivation cases, um, but I think that's pretty much confirming something that everybody already felt already anyway. Uh, quick mention for a Court of Appeal case, Secretary of State for the Home Department against MS Pakistan. 2018 EWCA Civ 594 and this is looking at trafficking cases and it overrules an earlier decision of the former Upper Tribunal President McCloskey in the same case and um, essentially the Court of Appeal reasoning substitutes that in the earlier AS Afghanistan case with the Court of Appeal holding that the Tribunal can only remake negative tra- trafficking decisions in extreme cases of perversity or irrationality by the Home Office. There's yet another case on what we call the Basnet um, series of cases. This new case is Ahmed and others, Valid Application, Burden of Proof, 2018 UKUT53IAC. Now, the Basnet original case from 2012, um, followed up by a case called Mitchell, Basnet Revisited in 2015. It's all about valid applications, invalid applications and where the burden of proof lies, where the Secretary of State holds that an application was invalid because of a failed payment, and the applicant complains that, well, actually look, i provided all my payment details, it's you who's messed up here, not me, and therefore it was a valid application, and how those cases should be dealt with by judges. So if you're dealing with any of those invalid application cases, then there's another case to add to that line, and you need to take a look at it, basically. Further case to mention is Shah Kant's Judicial Review, Nature and Consequences, 2018 UKUT51IAC. And this is a case in which President Lane is quite critical of solicitors concerned um, for bringing cases. The solicitors were Malik Law Chambers who were subsequently shuttered by the solicitors' regulation authority. So um, interesting case there on uh, essentially another one in the Hamid line of, of naming and shaming um, solicitors who the tribunal considers has behaved badly or have abused process or, or something of that nature. Um, in this case, the applications for judicial review were the tribunal said of poor quality, and um, the president is essentially critical of of, of, of that conduct. Meanwhile, somebody must be doing something right in the world of immigration law because um, for the first time, as, as, as far as anybody knows anyway, um, the appeal success rate in immigration appeals hit 50%. So exactly half of all um, appeals in the Immigration Tribunal are now successful. That's from the latest quarterly statistics um, from the Ministry of Justice. And now ending with a few updates on business immigration, starting with a blog post by Nicola Carter, on the unprecedented tier two skilled worker visa drought, which is continuing even now. Um, Nicola does a really good look at the um, allocation of sponsorship certificates and how it works and what we can expect coming up. Because the um, allocations were used up, the salary um, at which people were allowed to recruit looked like it was going to be about 45,000 pounds, which is obviously quite a lot of money. And Nicola looks at what steps the Home Office might potentially be taking to address the problems that this is causing to some employers. Of course, if if employers are trying to recruit somebody, and this is the fourth month in a row um, that they haven't been able to because of the salary cap, and they've already gone through the resident um, labour market test, Then this is causing some real problems with um, equipping their businesses with the employees that they need to succeed in essentially. Um, Nicola looks at different things that the Home Office might do, changes to the guidance in order to sort of fine grade the salary thresholds for example, also potentially changes to the immigration rules which might be under consideration, changes to the shortage occupation list and the PhD level roles for example, Um, possibly in the longer term taking students out of the net migration target. That may or may not be made easier or harder by the advent of a new Home Secretary, who knows, um, but watch this space, we'll keep you updated. Um, also on the subject of business, as an interesting case called Onwuji against Secretary of State for the Home Department 2018 EWCA Civ 331. It's posted by Gabriella Batiga and it, it's an interesting one um, for us, not that great for the um, appellant concerned who was unsuccessful in the end. But um, the Court of Appeal holds that the business that the appellant was running did potentially fall within Article 8. It was um, essentially covered by private life and therefore human rights were at least engaged. In the end, though, it was not proportionate because essentially he hadn't met the requirements of the rules. The specified documents hadn't been provided and therefore the appeal failed to be dismissed. Um, Finally, um, an interesting example of the um, Internet in Action by Nick Nason. And this is a Tier 2 chef who was tripped up essentially by a positive TripAdvisor review. Now, as you may or may not know, restaurants which offer a takeaway service aren't allowed to use the shortage occupation list provisions when hiring chefs from abroad under the Tier 2 Skilled Worker Scheme. The restaurants in this case seem to be aware of these provisions because just before applying for a um, sponsorship license for an employee, Um, They cut their ties with um, certain delivery services, Um, however um, unfortunately on the day after the um, applicant had applied for his visa, um, a review of the particular restaurant appeared on TripAdvisor and the review was headed best takeaway ever and included the rather unambiguous statement of fact, had a takeaway this evening, excellent as always. Um, Unfortunately, to make matters even worse, a manager at the restaurant, who clearly hadn't received the memo, as Nick puts it, um, responded a few days later. Thank you so much for your nice review. We hope to see you again soon. So, it seemed pretty conclusive that there was a takeaway service um, in place, and Home Office caseworkers do, it turns out, have access to the internet, and therefore the application was refused. So, that is the end of this month's update. I hope that's been helpful, and I'll see you next month. Bye.